just really grown to love it. I admire it. Uh, as a man, it's probably one of my greatest admira- admirations in the scriptures. Um, you just followed God no matter what. And uh, it was said of him throughout his life that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. I don't most identify with Joseph because I don't feel like I'm as Joseph. I just I admire him. I look up to him. I'm glad to see that God, uh, that there are people that are godly and love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. If you know a little bit about Joseph's life, you know that it wasn't uh, the most easiest of lives. His, uh, the one that took care of it, his nurse, uh, she passed away whenever Joseph was probably about 8 or 10 years old. His mom passed away between the ages of 12 and 15. He lost his mom. And at 17, uh, he went out one day, or I should say about 15, he went out one day to uh, help out in the field and saw his brothers doing something evil. We don't know what they were doing, but he went back and told his daddy about it. They weren't too happy about it. Probably called him a tattletale things of that nature. Whenever he was about 16 years old, he had some dreams, and he told those dreams to his brothers, and his brothers hated him even more. They envied him. His dad even chided him for the dreams, but he remembered them and thought about them. When he was 17, he was sold into slavery. Uh, and when he was sold into slavery, he was brought down to Egypt. It was there in Egypt that he was sold to a man named Potiphar. Things started looking up for him because uh, he not only uh, moved up quickly in rank and file as a slave there, but uh, he became head of all of Potiphar's house. And Potiphar didn't even think about what was in his house. He didn't even have to look at anything. Never even checked the bank account one time. I mean, he trusted Joseph that much. And one day, uh, Potiphar's wife came to him and wanted to lie with him. And the Bible tells us that she came day after day, uh, to, to be with him. And he would not lie with her, nor would he be with her. And may that be wisdom to all of us that uh, to abstain from any type of adulterous relationship, that we would not uh, lie with somebody, but never even would we be with them uh, in a situation or find ourselves in a compromising situation. Of course, you might know what happened next. She didn't like that he did not take her sexual advances, and uh, she took, she uh, she yelled out and uh, cried wolf. I always thought it was interesting in the story that none of the servants believed her. Uh, they didn't do anything. It wasn't until her husband got home until they actually threw him into jail. Uh, what's interesting too is this: he didn't throw him into the lowest of jails. He actually threw him into uh, the jail that he was watching over himself. He sat there for uh, several for a, for a while. We don't know exactly how long he was there until two men showed up and he interpreted their dreams for them. And one was hanged and one got out. And he probably thought, "This is my chance. I'm getting released. I'm getting out on parole here." You know. But it was two years later, uh, and finally the. Uh, Butler remembered his faults whenever Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh has a dream of those seven cows and those seven thin cows and eating up one of the other and all those kinds of things. 
And they call Joseph out of prison. He interprets the dreams. He comes back and shaves himself, gets himself all dressed up and interprets those dreams. And then finally, uh, after the interpretation of those dreams, gives some wise advice. Pharaoh says, man, can we not find one so wise as this one and who the spirit of the gods is? And so they made him uh, second in command in all the land of Egypt. And don't you know Potiphar's wife probably started shaking then. You know what I mean? I don't know what happened to the rest of the story there. But nonetheless, uh, things go on as normal. Uh, as normal as they can be. He uh, is married. Uh, he has two children. Uh, seven years of uh, prosperity comes. Uh, life just seems to be going on just like the dream said. And, uh, and then the years of famine start. The first year starts and then the second year starts. And along about into the second year... Um, the famine not only was covered all throughout Egypt, but it went into the land of Canaan. And it affected Jacob and his family. And they needed to eat too. So, uh, Jacob calls the boys up and he says, uh, why uh, stand you here and look at, look at, look at one another? And why are you standing around? Go, go down to Egypt and buy us corn. So, ten of them do. They leave Benjamin behind. That's for adventure, something evil befall him, it says. Kind of always thought that Jacob had in the back of his mind that maybe there was some mischief that day whenever Joseph went missing. But he just wasn't ever able to put his finger on what happened. But I tell you what, those ten boys, those ten men now, they never forgot it. In fact, the guilt laid hard upon them. You know what's the funny thing about guilt? Is that it lays hard upon you. It's hard and you can't shake it. it. Stays there. You know the best way to, you know the one thing about God is this, is that when God forgives you, and maybe you struggle with guilt, is that when God forgives you, He not only forgives you of your sin, but He forgives you of your guilt too. Amen. There's so many times, there's too many Christians that live with guilt. And you need to confess that to the Lord. Maybe you need to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness. But then you need to give that thing to God. Because Jesus died for your guilt, my friend. He didn't die for you to live in guilt the rest of your life. Amen. So maybe we realize that. But these boys had some guilt in their hearts. They went down to Egypt and uh, when they got there, you probably know the story. I was just reading it this week and I was thinking, man, this would be a great drama. I mean, just can you imagine? I was, I was thinking, I even told Karis, I said, I said this, this is like drama to the max. I mean, they go down, uh, immediately he calls them, calls them out and tells them that they are spies. He's speaking through an interpreter so they don't recognize him. Uh, they, and then he says, he tells them, go get your other brother and bring him down. And uh, they're all upset about this. They say that God has found them out and that God is judging them. And, and sure enough, uh, he says, well, I'm going to keep Simeon here while you guys go get your younger brother. They go back home and Jacob uh, says, no, I'm not sending him. But eventually he has to, unless they all starve to death. They send them down. They bring them back down. They all have a big meal together. It's a great day. Then Joseph says, put my silver cup into the youngest one's bag. 
They all leave. Joseph sends out an auntie, sends out a posse. They go get them. That story, that particular part of the story uh, always makes me think of this too. You need to be careful with what you say. You need to be very careful. In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. You know what those, those men said when they got to him, the posse finally arrived? They said, we didn't take your cup, and whoever you find the cup with, you can kill them. They bring down all the bags, starting with the eldest, and they end with Benjamin. And where's the cup at? In Benjamin's bag. They all break down crying. Weep, rent their clothes. Joseph says to them, he says, he, he says, all right guys, y'all all can go home. I'm keeping Benjamin as a slave. They said, no, 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 it's not going to work like that. You don't understand. And finally, Judah is the one that stands up and he offers himself. Judah becomes a type of Christ Jesus in that particular story because he gives himself over in substitutionary atonement for his own brother. That's what Jesus is. He's our elder brother. He gave himself over to us so that we could be saved. That's in chapter 44, and that's where we come to in chapter 45 right here. And it's just too much now. The drama has unfolded, and it's just become overwhelming. The Bible says in chapter 45 that Joseph could not refrain himself before all that stood by him, and he cried, Calls every man to, to go out from me, and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. Can you imagine what the brothers are feeling like at this point? They have no idea what's happening. Here is this powerful man weeping and crying in front of them. The house of Pharaoh heard. Joseph said unto his brethren, dramatic pause, <laughs> I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Father, we come into your holy presence right now, Lord, with this Magnificent, wonderful, and true story before us of these brothers and this man, Joseph. Lord, I'm just asking you today, Lord, to help me as I preach, give me the words to say, help me not to say anything that I should. But I pray this morning that all of us, Lord, would have open hearts and receptive ears, Father, to what 
you would teach us from your word today. Especially in this one phrase, this one statement that Joseph says to his brothers, God did send me. God did send me. That's an attitude that, Lord, I, I don't know that I have all the time. And it's a difficult one to maintain. But I believe through the Spirit of God that, God, you can't help us as believers to have such a faith as this. Lord, I pray for anybody here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior. That, Lord, maybe they would see in this passage here today that, Lord, you sent them here by your providential and sovereign hand to hear the gospel that they might be saved. May God you save them. In Christ I pray. As I've told you already, Joseph was falsely accused, imprisoned, and really just simply forgotten. But there's one thing about Joseph's life, and he never forgets it. And that is that God sent him to this place. God sent him. Do you believe God has put you in your place that you're at right now? Maybe some of it is of your own volition in the sense that maybe some of it is because of the way you've acted. Maybe some of it is there because of the, maybe some of it is you're at the place because of consequences. Maybe you're there because of what somebody else has done to you, no doubt. But the real question we have to ask is this, is do you believe that God has control over all of these things? Do you believe that God has the power to put you exactly where you need to be? That was Joseph's viewpoint. Joseph viewed his life as his life was in the hands of God. I wish all of us as believers could get that one principle in mind. That our life is in the Lord's hands. And that God can do whatever He wants to do with our life that He deems best. No matter how hard we try or how much energy we try to exert to do what we want to do, God's plans always win. God's plans always wins. God has a way. And He wants us to follow in it and be submissive to it. As I said, he was put into slavery, put in a dungeon. He was forgotten, but it didn't end there because in the end, he was promoted, he was given wisdom, he was given a marriage, he was given children and restoration. Oftentimes, God leads us down one road in order to bring us back up another road. And oftentimes, we don't know why that road is going the way it's going. Sometimes, it seems like a detour. But life is never a detour with God. And really, I'd encourage you this morning to not waste any road that God puts you on. Don't waste any opportunity. Don't waste any time. Don't waste any effort. Aren't you glad that Joseph didn't just sit down in the dungeon or sit off in a Potiphar's house and become a useless servant? You say, what if he would have, preacher? 
Well, I'll tell you this, is that God would have sent somebody else to save His people. Because listen, my friend, God has a way of always accomplishing His purposes. We are tools. We are vessels. We are instruments in the hands of God is what we are. That is what we are. I have a shed. And in my shed, I have all kinds of hand tools, shovels and post hole diggers and rock bars, as they call them, or, they, or someone lady called it one time the Texas toothpick. And, uh, and I mean, I've got all kinds of tools out there. But when I go out to my shed, I can choose any tool that I want to use in order to uh, work in the, in the situation that I want to work with. They are there at my disposal, at my use. And yeah, I'll tell you right now is that we're a shed this morning, all right? And that we're all tools in the hand of God. And that God is wanting to come in and use us for His glory and for His honor. Listen to me. Whenever I take out the Texas toothpick and I use it, I never praise and glorify the Texas toothpick when the hole is dug. Has anybody ever tried to dig a hole out here before? All right? Okay? Recently, I don't know if you noticed, but there's uh, been some fencing that's been put up. And we rented a rock auger that would go down in there. We got, we were supposed to get about two or two and a half feet down there. In some places, we got about 18 inches. And I called the rental place and I said, listen, this thing isn't working for us. And he says, do you need me to bring out a pneumatic jackhammer? I said, no, thank you. We'll keep working. All right. <laughs> we'll keep working. I tell you, out here it's hard dirt, but it's at my own disposal. We use the tools that we need to use in order to accomplish the purposes that we need to accomplish. I don't glorify those tools. The glory is in the work that's done. God wants to do a great work in heart, and I believe in every single Christian believer's life. Our life is not our own. Alex read to us today, that wonderful passage there, there in Matthew 16, it's found six other times in the, throughout the Gospels where Jesus is reminding us that in order for us to be a useful vessel for His kingdom and for His glory, that we need to learn to die. Die to what? Die to this. Die to self. You know, the biggest enemy that all of us face, all of us face on an every single day basis is not the world and it's not the devil. It is me, Matthew, Joshua Cox. That's the biggest enemy. Self, self, self. The devil is not omnipresent, okay? But I am with me all the time, okay? I am with, I don't get a chance to have out-of-body experiences, all right? Maybe some of you have. I've never had that opportunity, Okay? But here's the deal, is that Joseph was a man that realized that his hand, his life was in God's hands. 2 Samuel 23:31 says, as for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in Him. Listen to me, my friend. Joseph tried God's word and it came out perfect. I'd encourage you to just try God's Word. Try it. One preacher said, some of y'all tried out Bud Light, and, or he said, he always called it Bud Dumber and Middle or Low Life, for 12, 14, 15 years, and you tried to give God, uh, you know, try to give God a try for six months and said it's not working out for me. Listen to me. Why don't you try to give God a bigger chance than that? Amen? Now, I didn't tell you that. Another preacher said that, all right? So don't get mad at me, get mad at him. All right, but here's the deal. 
What are you, are you trying God's word? Are you trying here? Use God in the sense that you can trust Him. You can believe upon Him. His way is perfect, my friend. Perfect. We see Joseph's viewpoint. His life was in God's hand. Number two, we see Joseph's wisdom. Joseph understood that it was God that sent him. He says it twice. I'll read it to you again. It says it in verse number five. For God did send me before you. In verse number seven, it says it again. And God sent me before you. Before you could get here, before you could come down, God had already had it worked out and planned out that I would come before you so that we could be saved. A lot of times we think, well, it's that person that put me in that position. Or we think, you maybe hear it said more like this, my dad did this to me, or my mom did this to me, or that person did that to me, or my brother, or my sister, or my wife, or my husband, or my children, or whoever it is, and we try to put the blame maybe on somebody else in the situation or the problems that we're in, but in all reality is that we need to take personal responsibility for our problems and our ways and our actions. It's important that we do that. People are not always people are not always in the blame. And don't get me wrong, folks, listen to me. There are some wicked and ungodly things that people do to other people. There's some wicked and ungodly things. But may we all realize, may we all realize that though some of the most ungodly things may happen to us. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own family. Think about that. I mean, how low does that get? But yet, he had faith to believe that God had sent him there. It was God that placed him there. A lot of people want revenge. So why did Joseph put his family, his brothers, through all of this that he did here in these three chapters? Well, I think they did need to learn a lesson. I think they did need some consequences. I do think that they needed some, uh, a little, uh, they needed a little bit of a paddling, if you will, to let them realize, you know what, this, you need to experience some turmoil too. But he wasn't doing it out of revenge. He wasn't doing it out of spite. He wasn't doing it out of anger. He had a plan in it all that he was going to bring them back and he was going to bless them and use them for his for their glory and for, uh, for God's glory and for God's honor. In fact, if you take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter number 50, when Jacob dies, his brothers get upset again because they're worried that he's going to hurt them and, and, and perhaps kill them. And in Genesis 15, verse number 15, and Joseph's brethren saw that the brother was dead, and they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly quite us all the evil that we did unto him. But the Bible tells us here, he says, uh, they come to him, and they're worried about this, and they say, forgive me. And Joseph says in verse number 19, says, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought of evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass it as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. You see, the way that a Christian, or excuse me, the way that the world reacts is 
according to Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are these, which are hatred and variance, which is fighting, bickering, emulations, which is rivalry, wrath and strife and seditions, that's divisions. How many families do you know that are divided? How many families do you know that are constantly bickering and fighting? How many families do you know that there's rivalry against the siblings and against the mom and the dad, or maybe there's a stepmom and a stepdad, or whatever it is, and there's rivalry there? What is all of that? That's works of the flesh, is what that is. As a Christian, that is not the way that you're supposed to respond and react in, in, in life. Well, my mom acts like that. You're not your mom. Get over it. You're not your dad. You're not somebody else. You're you. And if you're a believer, you're more than just you. You're a child of God. It's what you are. And your reactions are not supposed to be wrath and strife and seditions and heresies. That's not supposed to be the way you live. You're supposed to live with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and faith and temperance. By the grace and by the help of God and His Holy Spirit, fill in your heart. If you're saved, then the Bible teaches us in 1 John 4.20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that is God, that he that loveth God, love his brother also. See, there's a change in perspective and attitude with Joseph. He sees in his life that it's not these brothers that did it, but rather, God had a greater purpose. You realize that God sent you to this church? God brought you to this church. Now, I woke up this morning, I decided to go to church. Now, listen to me, my friend. If it weren't by the grace of God, you wouldn't even got out of bed this morning. It wouldn't even by the grace of God that you would have got out of bed. For the grace of God, you'd be in a hospital room somewhere. Well, for the grace of God, you wouldn't be able to see or hear any of those things, my friend. God puts you in the places that He places you. God has put you in the family that He's given to you. What are you doing about that? Are you thankful? Are you appreciative? Are you helping? God has put you in the job that He's put you at. Well, I don't like my job. Well, they get a different job, all right? But at the point and at the time being, guess what? You are in the job where God has got you at. What are you doing about it? Are you helping? Are you appreciative? Are you thankful? Are you trying to be a witness, a greater witness to those that are around you? Are you seeing that as an opportunity to help others? Are you just seeing it as a job? Or just a job? Listen to me, my friend. A job is not just a job to a Christian. And I was saying this on Wednesday night, is that we've got to break away in our minds as believers, and this was taught uh, This was taught a long time ago, and it's perpetuated some even today, that there is the secular and there is the spiritual side of the Christian life, and that is complete nonsense. I, I would say that it is even, I would almost go as far, and I don't want to say it's heresy, but it, it is almost at that point, because life for a Christian, my friend, is not secular and spiritual. Life is spiritual. Life is spiritual. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And there's some that want to throw out that last part of Romans 8, 1, and I don't believe they're right. 
Because I believe with all sincerity and honesty that that is not a description to how that... That's not a description in the sense that you're supposed to, if you do it this way, you don't do it this way. No, that is a description of who you are as a person. You are to live walking in the Spirit because you're spiritual. Stop looking at your job, your, 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 your family, whatever it is. Secular. No, it's not. It's all spiritual. God sent you into that trial. He allowed those evils to befall you. Are you taking it as that? You see that maybe this is the Lord's hand in this thing? We see his viewpoint, we see his wisdom. But thirdly, we see that he helped. It says in verse number seven, he says, I God has sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth. That's your family, that's your heritage. God said, he's, Joseph is telling them, and he says, I'm here to help you. I just read to you, and I won't read to you again, but he says there at the end, he says, look, I have even saved you. I have nourished and cherished your little ones. He was kind to the little children, to his little nieces and nephews. He loved them. He helped them. How we could change and help others so much if we just saw the situations that God has placed us into as just that, God has placed us into those situations. Why are you at the job you're at? Why? Is it so you can get a paycheck? Yeah, it might be so, but that's kind of down here on the, on the list. You need to provide us a thing. But you also need to be an upstanding citizen and work for your money. You also need to understand that God has placed you there to be a help to somebody. To, to, to witness to somebody. To tell somebody the gospel. Why does God give you a family? Well, because that's biological reproduction. No, my friend. <laughs> yes. And yes, it is. But that's just pure evolutionary thinking. God has given you a family so that you can raise them and nourish them and the cherish them and the, and, the, and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So you can pray for them, so you can help them. What if you looked at your brothers and your sisters like this? Harris and I were just talking the other day. It's Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loveth at all times. I always, always quoted it like this. But a, but a brother is born for adversity. I used it in the contrast. But that's not the right way it's translated. You know that? A friend loveth that all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And, not contrast, comparison. And is comparison. What is he comparing? Love of a friend. What is that comparing there? Love of a brother. You see, a brother is born for times of adversity. Whenever one of your sisters, I'm talking about blood related here. Right now, when a sister or one of your brothers is not born so that you can be in trouble, a sister or a brother is born so that you can be a good brother or sister to them. So when they're going through tough times, listen to me, is that nobody understands what has, nobody understands perhaps better than somebody else in their family than you do as a brother or a sister. You have the same mom, you have the same dad perhaps, and they're going through a difficult time. 
You know what you need to do? You need to come along and comfort them. Text them. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're praying for them. What if we stop looking at our job as a daily place of, uh, as a daily grind, but seen as a place where God has sent you to help somebody? What if we looked at our trials differently? As a place to help others. I don't know what you've been through in life. I'm sure some of you could probably tell some haunting tales. But have you ever thought, before you accuse me, have you ever thought that maybe God wants you to use what you have gone through to help somebody else? You know, there's some people in this world and the Bible talks about this. There's some people in this world that some of you have gone through some terrible things or are going through some terrible things. But yet you've been able to come out on the other side of that thing. Not unscathed, I don't mean that. But God has given you a strong mind, a strong will, to persevere to get through it. Other people don't have as strong a mind and strong will maybe as you. Some people are going to take their life because of bad things that have happened to them. Maybe it's you that's going to be the person that comes alongside and helps somebody out in a situation like that. Before they decide to down a bottle of pills. Before they decide, you know what, I'm just going to load up on a whole thing of heroin and just shoot it in. Maybe you're the person that needs to come alongside. Help. There's Joseph's help. Joseph's viewpoint. Joseph's wisdom. But look at this, finally. Joseph's will. I love this. It's probably my favorite part of the story. Look at verse 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me. I pray. Come near to me. Verse number 9. Haste and go up and says, he says, Thus saith, thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord over all of Egypt, and come down unto me. Tarry not. Don't. He says, go tell my father, Jacob, to come down to me. Verse 10, he says, you'll dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me. Verse number 15, he says, moreover he kissed all his brethren, and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked him. You see, Joseph did not want to help them from afar. He wanted to help them up close. He did not want to keep his brethren at arm's length. He didn't say, I, just want to, I don't want to touch that with a ten-foot pole. He just said, you know what, guys? Come here. And I believe that he went to every single one of those brethren, all 11 of them, and he hugged them and he kissed them. And he went down the road and he hugged them and embraced them and wept upon them and kissed them. He was near to them. He loved them. Draw nigh unto God and He will draw nigh unto you. Does it seem impossible sometimes? You've been hurt so deeply that you can never ever forgive or you can never ever overcome it? Consider the life of Joseph. Consider what he did. But my friend, let me tell you this also. 
Consider Christ. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He desires to always be close to you. When Paul was in prison and he had nobody with him, when all had forsaken him, he says, he says, the Lord stood by me and comforted me. Do you have such a relationship with God that you can say that God comforts me? That God is with me? Listen to me, my friend. If you're sad and you're lonely and you have nobody else to call out to and you feel you have no friend inside, you have no family that would understand you or try to be with you or try to love you, man, I can tell you something, that there is a heavenly Father above that loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son into the world so that you could be saved and you could become a part of the family of God. There was one believer, one brother that I knew that he would say this sometimes. He said, oh, when I got saved, all my family forsook me. He said, but then I found a church that loved me and I found I had a whole other family. I found, I found I had a whole other family that loved me. That loved me. Peter said, Lord, what will happen to us if we forsake all? He says, then I'll give you more than you could ever imagine. More sisters and brothers and mothers. He said, you all even... You know what that is, my friend? That's the church of the living God. Mm-hmm. Friend, my tell you right now is that God Almighty desires to be with us. And, and He was just calling upon us to believe that we can be with Him. Bad things are going to happen to good people. That's just the facts. Stop asking why you bad things are going to happen to people, but believe that bad things are going to happen to good people. It's going to. But God is in ultimate control. If we live a life of faith like Joseph did, as believers, we'll not seek to hurt, but we'll seek to help. And it may be close and dear to our Savior. You know the closest way, the best way I should say, the best way to be closest to Jesus Christ is to be like Him. Joseph is a type of Christ. Jesus Christ forgave and loved even though they hated Him. On the very cross, As he was crucified, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we're going to be close to Christ, we're going to have an attitude like Joseph had that God sent him. Then we're going to have to be like Christ. Thomas Chisholm wrote the famous hymn, Old to be like me. Old to be like me, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind. Helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Old to be like me, lowly in spirit, holy and heartless, tender and brave. Meekly, Enduring, cruel, 
reproaches. Willing to suffer. Others to save. All to be like thee. All to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness. Listen to it. Stamp thine own image deep in my heart. Christian, is Christ's image stamped upon you? And you say, as Joseph has said, God did send me. Unbeliever, do you see today that God has brought you here to this place to hear the gospel? To hear of the pure, holy Jesus Christ who died for you, shed his blood for you, that you may be saved. That he was buried and he rose up out of that tomb gloriously on the third day to save all who would believe. Have you believed? Good. Today. Father, we're thankful.